You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Turn now to Galatians chapter 3. We have studied the first two chapters of Galatians where Paul uses his autobiography, his experience uh, as an apostle, as a defense of the gospel that he preached. That in chapter 1 and verse 1, he was called not by men or the agency of men, but directly by Christ Jesus and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus having been raised from the dead because verse 4 said, he gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age. So on the rescue mission from God, seeking us who had gone astray, as uh, another place says, we were continually straying like sheep, but he is the great shepherd and bishop of our souls to whom we uh, can return and to whom uh, has come out to seek and save the lost. Paul preached, and Paul preached this gospel of faith in Jesus as justification, and there were those who were departing from that. Uh, He taught that uh, no man was justified by works of the law, but there were those in Galatia who were going back to the law, and they were trying to bind upon the Christians those things from a different time and a different system uh, so that uh, the Christians would be uh, blending and melding uh, those things of the law uh, with the things of the gospel. And uh, Paul said, you're not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel when you do this. And so that's uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 14. They were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And in chapter 2, verse 5, Paul's uh, diligent work uh, against this mixing of the law and the gospel. Uh, This was so, chapter 2, verse 5, so the truth of the gospel would remain. So the truth of the gospel is stated in verse 16 of chapter 2 knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we who have believed in Jesus, so we may be justified by faith and not works of the law, since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. And so as Paul summarized there, we might ask, uh, what did Paul teach on how one is justified? By faith, by belief, trust in Christ. And what did Paul say was not the way of justification? The works of the law, right? And so could not be any more clear. And so Paul told uh, those things about his autobiography, his uh, multiple trips to Jerusalem, and various interactions with the apostles. In in one case, based on his behavior, Paul even got crossways with uh, Peter. But in all things, it was so that we might live, as Paul did in this way, Chapter 2, verse 20, I have now been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with him. And so that leads us to uh, what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? And so who has bewitched you before whose eyes 
Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And he says, you're departing this in, in a way that is just absolutely downright foolish. Now, we have to say we recall what our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount. What did he say about calling people fools? Don't do it. Don't do it. But what here does the Apostle Paul say about the Galatians? You are foolish, folks. And so using this as an insult, using this as demissive, using this as abusive of people, absolutely forbidden by the Lord. But when it is an accurate rebuke for uh, moral laxity or for uh, doctrinal departure or for unbelief, uh, it is a term that is occasionally rightly used because we assume that if the Apostle Paul used it, it's rightly used, right? Also, our Lord used this term in this same way uh, to the unbelieving Jews in Luke 24, 45, when he said, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And so it was foolishness not to listen to what the prophets said. And now for the Galatians, in the same way, it is foolishness and it made you fools in order that you have turned aside from the teaching of the gospel, which was clearly given you. And so don't be fooled. And we think about the uh, importance uh, to, uh, for uh, Satan, uh, the importance for Satan in fooling people. In 2 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul summarizes the garden events from the very beginning in this way. He said to the Corinthians, I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we've not preached, or, or you receive a different spirit, which you've not received, or a different gospel, which you've not accepted, and you bear it beautifully. So you, you're as deceived as Eve was, and this is how Satan has always worked. Uh, Satan works by deception. And so when people are deceived, uh, we need to be able to point that out to them, let them know uh, that they have been uh, deceived, because this is one of the great works of Satan. It says in Titus 3, we were once foolish ourselves. So here's Paul putting us in the same place as these Galatians now are, maybe on a different topic, but to the same result. For we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Well, there's, there's a foolish life, a hateful and hating envy and malice enslaved to lust. The Apostle Paul said that was foolishness. And he said, we ought to know because we were in it. Uh, it's reported that uh, Luther, back at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, as he was preaching about justification by faith and becoming justified in Christ, someone asked him about uh, the relationship of the justified to sinners. What was their relationship? And he says, well, we stand shoulder to shoulder with sinners because we were all in the same place. We were all in sin. And so uh, this uh, foolishness that these folks are engaged in, uh, even though we, it's called out as foolishness and they rebuked, uh, we need to make sure 
uh, not to make too much of it at times or not to oversell it or act like that could never happen to us because we know by experience that it did. And we know with humility that it might yet happen again. But uh, in this case, they were there in the bonds of foolishness. Uh, They had been deceived. And so uh, Paul said, actually, this is so bad, it's almost like somebody put a spell on you. Uh, That'd be a good song right there. Uh, But anyway, it's like somebody put a spell on them. Uh, Who has bewitched you? And so you, you are going from the benefits of Christ so quickly to something so obviously inferior that has somebody cast a spell on you? Has somebody taken hold of your reasoning? Has somebody, uh, you know, done something to you that has caused you to lose track of your senses? I mean, what's going on? Um, I think about some times where, uh, you know, God's people uh, have just been uh, foolish like this and just hardly can see what's going on in front of them. I think about Samson and his constant work uh, uh, among the Philistines and uh, uh, his, his more than work, his, uh, his uh, life among the Philistines and the Philistine women that he was with. And over and over, you're like, what are you thinking, right? Uh, and she, the woman says to him, the Philistine woman, hey, uh, why don't you tell me the secret to your super strength? And uh, he tells her in a, a story, and she, uh, uh, she immediately tries that. And he, he tells her again when she asks, and she immediately tries that. And finally, he tells her the right thing, and lo and behold, she immediately tries that too. And it's like, what were you thinking? Was there, is there any moral sense here whatsoever? And in some ways, the, Philist, uh, excuse me, the Galatians, in re- relationship to the Judaizers, uh, almost seem to be in the same relationship as uh, Samson uh, to the Philistine lady Delilah, just blind to what's going on, not seeing the consequences, not recognizing at all. And they took their eyes, and you know we think about uh, uh, the wonderful passage in Hebrews uh, uh, 12, uh, to fix your eyes upon Jesus. And they certainly had enough knowledge uh, presented to them about Jesus that they could have properly uh, fixed their eyes there. Because what is it that the Apostle Paul says? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, the Galatians, in this regard, stand in exactly the same place as we do. What do we know about the crucifixion? And what did the Galatians have the opportunity to know about the crucifixion? Well, we know everything said about it by inspired people. And then we've heard a lot of other things by non-inspired people, which we have to sift through and probably discard. What had, how did the Philistines, excuse me, how did the Galatians, I'm still stuck on the Philistines, but how did the Galatians, how did these brethren, how did they know about the crucifixion? Well, they knew it by the inspired teaching. And then through these Judaizers and others, they probably heard some other things they have to sift through and mostly disregard. And these uh, Galatians, uh, how many of them do you think had been to Jerusalem? Well, probably none, right? I mean, how many um, Gentiles made it a point to go the 900 miles down to Jerusalem? You know, they hadn't started Holy Land tours yet, had they? That actually starts in about the year 300. 
when Christianity becomes legal, uh, almost immediately a Holy Land tour industry pops up. And uh, uh, people like Constantine's mother, uh, the mother of the emperor, go down there and start buying up the land where the holy sites were, and they start building some churches, and uh, and people going to see these things. But no, they, that wasn't that didn't happen yet. And so uh, these Philistines, they hadn't been to Jerusalem, and uh, probably none of them had been the for, had had the foresight to go twenty years before, because it's been twenty years about from the time that Christ was crucified to the writing of this letter. So these folks are 900 miles away and 20 years after the fact. And so from 900 miles away and 20 years after the fact, how is it that you know anything about the crucifixion? It's by the inspired preaching, right? It's by what the scriptures say, and it's by what the apostles taught. Now today, what do we know about the crucifixion? From, I don't know, was it, is it 12,000 miles to Jerusalem? Is that a good, good round number? From, from however far away, from the other side of the planet, and 2,000 years in time, what do we know about the crucifixion? Same thing the Galatians knew. Nothing more and nothing less. Actually, as a matter of fact, we might have the edge by knowing a tad bit more. Because uh, when uh, this letter was written, uh, two of the Gospels had likely been written. Uh, Matthew and Mark. John's gospel is probably after this, and we know for an absolute fact Luke's gospel is after this. So we have two more gospels at least than they did. Of course, they had an inspired person uh, to preach directly, and we have the record of the inspired people. But by and large, we stand in the same place as the uh, Galatians do in regard to knowledge of the crucifixion. We only know what is portrayed in the inspired record, the preaching of the apostles and the prophets. And so Paul said, I knew a lot of things, but when he got to go to the Corinthians, he said in a very similar time frame, because it's right about the same time he writes 1 Corinthians as he writes Galatians, just a couple years apart. But he says this, he said, For I determined, 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, we have every reason to believe that Paul was a highly educated man. I think the Apostle Paul uh, was, <laughs> the title's not applied to him, uh, but I believe among the Jews he would have been counted as a rabbi. And I'm also pretty sure that among the Gentiles uh, that he would have been counted whatever the you know, ancient equivalent was to a person today who has a Ph.D., this man was double educated in the ways of the Gentiles and the ways of the Jews. His knowledge of things Jewish, which he'll mention several times, uh, is 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 uh, you know advancing beyond his contemporaries in the ancestral traditions and, and the, the things that they did there. Uh, but also uh, the way he moves among the Gentiles and uh, he quotes their their uh, uh, poets uh, when he preaches to them. His knowledge of their culture. And his knowledge of Jewish culture uh, would have been top shelf in both cultures. He knew an awful lot about the Gentile world. He knew an awful lot about the Hebrew world. And when he preached, what did he, he talk about? He says, I preach Christ and him crucified and nothing else. And so uh, do you think he knew a lot about politics and the emperor? I guess he did. 
but do you think he preached a lot about, you know, uh, uh, which emperor they should have? Or uh, they didn't have elections, but imagine if they had elections, how much do you think he'd talk about it in his teaching? You think he preached on politics much? I don't. You think he preached on uh, cultural issues that were not germane to the gospel? I don't think he did. He said, I've just preached Christ and him crucified. And so the gospel message, so that we may believe and that we may live the life of faith, is that I preach Christ and him crucified. Back in the introduction, back in verse uh, 4 of the first chapter, what does he say about Jesus Christ? He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. That's a lesson on the crucifixion right there in it. And so Christ. Now, how did the Apostle Paul preach to them Christ? You look through the sermons in the book of Acts, and we have uh, Paul's sermons from Acts 13 on. At Pisidian Antioch, we have Paul preaching from the prophets. We have him preaching Christ. And every time that, uh, that Paul preaches, like he uh, told in one of his trials, he said preaching nothing other than what the prophets said would, would take place, Paul preached about Jesus. And so one way to do that, and this is a, was a powerful thing that the Christians did, and it was one of the main ways that Christians preached evangelically, uh, preached the good news, was to preach fulfilled prophecy. Uh, the Christians made such a habit of going to the Scriptures, the Septuagint version, that Greek version of the Old Testament, that uh, the Jews, after about the 3rd century, they stopped using that version of the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, and they made a new one. And one of the things that happened in that one is a lot of the prophecies that are so clear in the Septuagint, is when the Jews made a new translation several hundred years after the time of Christ, those, uh, those prophecies all of a sudden got a little more muddled, weren't, weren't quite so clear. Uh, the, the Christians made such a thing of fulfilled prophecy from the Septuagint, and the, the Christians made the Septuagint their book to the degree that the Jews made a new one. We're not going to use that translation anymore. We're going to make a different one. And it was a little, more, little, more, less, little less uh, uh, Christocentric. Uh, after the fact, because they had rejected Christ. But we can think about the many places of which we can go and find Christ in the Old Testament. And every page of that would have been available to Paul, would have been known to the audiences in the synagogue. And for any, uh, any Gentile who heard this, uh, that text would have been available, would have been available wherever books were sold. Of course, in the ancient world, books were very expensive and people didn't have a lot of them. But there were libraries where this book was. And there were synagogues where this book was. And there were wealthy people who had their own private copies, uh, at least of parts and pieces uh, of, the <coughs> of the Old Testament. And so we think about the Ethiopian eunuch as he's riding on the way back home. And he's reading Isaiah as they go in the chariot. I get car sick just trying to read my, you know, read a book in a suburban going down a, a, a paved interstate. I can't imagine trying to read Isaiah from a scroll standing in a chariot. But he's so interested in the book that he does. And what was he reading when Philip approached him? He was reading Isaiah 53. And from that passage, the text says that Philip began to preach to him Jesus. And so the suffering servant uh, section and the the 
number chapters uh, numbered 50s uh, 52 through 56 or 7 uh, that section of Isaiah is so messianic or we think about this Psalm 22 Psalm 22 my God my God why hast thou forsaken me far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning oh my God I cry by day and you do not answer I cry by night and have no rest but you're holy and you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel in thee our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you did deliver them. They cried out and were delivered. In thee they trusted and did not disappoint. But me, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. The reproach of men uh, and despised by people, they sneer at me, and they separate uh, with their lips, and they wag their head and say, Commit yourself to the Lord, and let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. And so you start reading the 22nd Psalm, and what do you find? The words of Jesus on the cross and the words of the enemies of Jesus spoken against him in anger. And you just start going through that psalm, and you could just he, the Christian preacher could just pause. There was what Jesus said. There's what the others said. Here is what, here is what God was, uh, was doing here. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth. And you do lay me in the dust. The dogs surround me. An evil, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and my clothing by casting lots. Now, what could a Christian preacher do with that? Well, there's the crucifixion. There's the events of the crucifixion. There's the action of the Roman soldiers at the crucifixion. And, and we think about this. Now, again, I said, and maybe a little bit um, misleading, I said as we read this psalm, because when we come to the book of Psalms, what do we do? We read it. But as the apostle was preaching in the synagogues, and preaching to the people there, uh, they didn't know these psalms so much by reading them, right? How did they know these psalms? They knew them by heart, by singing. That you could quote from their songbook, right? You know, if I say the words, luck be a lady tonight, you know, uh, say with the, the fellow you came in with, uh, don't blow on some other guy's dice, uh, I, I don't have the voice of Sinatra, but if I say those lyrics, what voice starts playing in your head? The voice of Sinatra, because how do you know those? How do you know those words? You know those words by by song, right? You know Sinatra's version of those things. Uh, you know it from the musical guys and dolls. You you know these things, and somebody says a few words of these lyrics, and all of a sudden the song comes to mind, and you can start filling in the rest of the song. And we can do that with any uh, thing that is uh, commonly sung, uh, even if it's just, you know, we haven't sung it for years, but uh, uh, just a few a few words of a song, and all of a sudden the whole thing uh, just pops back into mind, and it just starts playing on autoplay in our mind, right? If I just started saying B-I-N-G-O, bingo was his name-o, you're, you're going to start filling that in. These folks, is that as Christ was preached from this passage, uh, 
He's not just being preached from the, the, the scriptures they know. He's being preached from their songbook, right? He's being preached out of their songbook. And they knew these things. You just think about the Jews and their singing of hymns, of praise to God. They're singing in the synagogues. The singing of the choruses and choirs when they were at Jerusalem, if they visited the temple, what are they singing? They're singing these psalms. And where can we now, from where can we now preach Christ? We can preach him from the songbook, the inspired songbook of God. The songs of Zion tell the story of the Lord. And so when we talk about these 300 prophecies or so in various details, and there's places where people compile an excellent list of these, uh, we just see what an overwhelming flood of evidence this would be. But I think none of them might be more powerful or were more powerful in, in its first preaching than preaching him right out of the songbook. And so then we have the uh, go down a little further, uh, verse 22 of Psalm 22, uh, the deliverance portion, the, the part that's quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, I will tell thy name. This is after uh, he, you, uh, uh, yeah, no assistance is given and, and uh, he's cut off. But after he's cut off, it says, I will tell thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I'll sing praise uh, for uh, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Well, that's good because as we'll get to chapter 3 later on, cursed is everyone who is, hangs upon a tree. But Jesus is blessed because the Lord did not abhor that. But when he cried for help, he heard. For from you come my praise in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear me. I, the afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord, praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. And so we see the, the triumph of the Lord and the, the ruling of the Lord over the nations when this comes. From the end of the earth, they'll remember the, and turn to the Lord. The families of the nations will worship. The kingdom is the Lord. He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. And those who go down to dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive, posterity will serve. It'll be told of the Lord in the coming generations. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he's performed it. And so the one who couldn't stay alive is now the one who's worshiped. That's the end of Psalm 22. Again, you think about what could a Christian preacher do with that? And so when they, when they talk about, uh, you know, publicly portraying Christ as crucified. They have all the prophecies to draw off of. And Psalm 22 just may be the most notable. And then we have the inspired preachers who went around and powerfully told that. So like Paul again said to the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul said, I, I preach Christ everywhere I go. Now, as I said earlier, uh, when the Galatians, when, when they had this uh, preached to them and taught them, they had an apostle live in the room in the flesh to tell them uh, they might have by now had the gospel of Matthew and quite possibly also the gospel of Mark. But one thing they didn't have is they didn't have the gospel of Luke because the gospel of Luke was written just as Paul is about to go to Rome and he's in Roman prison. It may have not been released till Paul got to Rome. 
because you know, think about Luke and Acts. They're two volumes of the same thing, right? They're the same history. And when was Acts uh, released? Well, as Paul is about to go on trial before the Caesar. And it's quite possible that Acts and Luke were prepared as documents to go along with that and explain to the Roman officials why Paul was there. But who writes Luke? Now, this is the kind of insight uh, that you pay good money for and why I'm here. Who wrote the Gospel of Luke? Luke did. All right, thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all night. All right, so Luke wrote Luke, right? We know that. But Luke also wrote Acts, and we know that from how? That from Acts 16 on, Luke is a constant companion of Paul, right? Luke is with Paul over and over. We have those we sections of the book of Acts. And so from about Galatia, from just around this area, from the first time Paul went through there in Acts 16, Paul joins up with Luke. And Luke is with Paul the majority of the time until he's in Rome. And so as Luke is the constant traveling companion uh, of the Apostle Paul, how many times do you think that Luke, who will in, act, you know, it's 10 years after this, maybe 12, a decade after this, when Luke writes the Gospel of Luke, how many times has he heard Paul tell the story of Christ and the crucifixion? It's got to be nigh on to thousands, isn't it? How many times, would, if you were Paul's constant companion for 15 years, which about round number, that's how long Luke and Paul were together. If you were Paul's constant companion for 15 years, how long would you have heard Paul, and how many times would you have heard Paul preach about Jesus, the crucifixion, and the resurrection? Literal thousands. Who better than to write a gospel? So we wonder, how did this Gentile doctor end up writing one of the four Gospels? There's only four, right? Wouldn't you think the 12 apostles, I mean, wouldn't you expect six, eight, 12 Gospels out of those characters? But how many apostles pen a Gospel? John. We have Luke, the close associate with Paul, Matthew. And we have Mark, the close associate with Peter. So in the early days of the church, the Gospel of Mark was often called Peter's Gospel. And so we have a Gospel associated with Peter closely with Mark. We have John himself, Matthew himself. And we have this Gospel written by the man who's the constant companion of the Apostle Paul. And so sometimes you're wonder, like, why is it Matthew? And, you know, Matthew's not a big character, but he was there. But why is it that we have Gospels from people who weren't there for a lot of it with, with Mark and with Luke? Well, they're constant companions of two of the prominent apostles. So how did Luke know the things that he wrote? Well, he was with Paul. All right, now, having said all that, I, I, all that was introduction to do what? To read what Luke says, to read what Luke wrote. Luke also, as we've mentioned, had the opportunity uh, to uh, go investigate these things carefully, as he himself says in Luke 1, 1 to 4, when Paul was in jail for two years in Caesarea, Luke had time to go talk to the witnesses as well. Uh, but he knew the outline already for sure from the preaching of Paul. So here's, here's what Luke says. So, so here's the gospel, uh, which is certainly Paul approved, because when Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, who was he with? He was with Paul, right? He's with Paul. Uh, I, I, you know, it's like, well, who was the first person to get to read the Gospel of Luke? I'm sure it was Paul. 
Well, he, he, in his prison cell, uh, because he was in prison for so long, as this was being written. But uh, here is the Paul-approved gospel as we have it from Luke. So Luke 23, 24, we'll pick up the story. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. That is, that they would free Barabbas and they would kill Jesus. And he released the man that they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But they delivered Jesus, he delivered Jesus to their will. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the day is coming when they'll say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And they will say, Say to the mountains, Fall on us, and on the hills cover us. And for they do these things, if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others also, who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the Skull, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots and divided up his garments among themselves, just like we read in Psalms. And the people stood by looking on, and they were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. This one who is the Christ of God, his chosen one, just like we read in the Psalms. And the soldiers mocked him, and coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, and said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed suffered justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And now it was about the sixth hour, and darkness fell on the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with his loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, as the prophecy said again. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw that this had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. Well, there's the, obviously Paul approved, because it's God inspired. There's the message of Luke. Uh, the companion of Paul, and this is what Paul went around preaching. And he said, I, I showed you this, Galatians. The fact that this is prophesied and proven, the fact that it was powerfully and well presented to the mind that is accepting of the things of God and, and willing to believe, this should be a life-changing experience, right? Why did these Galatians believe in Christ? Why was it that they were crucified with Christ, that Christ might live in them. And the life they now live, they live by faith in Jesus because they believed this story. They, they, they heard what the Savior did for them, that he loved them uh, and he gave himself for them, as Paul said several times in this uh, letter. And so this had such an effect on them that they believed the gospel. Now, this effect should be long-lasting, should it not? This effect should be present. It should be ever-present, both in their lives and, as we said, in ours. Again, 
for these people, we think of them, you know, we think of all these people just as a Bible times, right? All these, you know, certainly the Galatians must have known the Pharisees, right? I mean, they're all in the same book. It's all for the same time. No, this is 900 miles away and 20 or 25 years later. These Galatians never saw a Pharisee, but they sure knew a lot about them to the teaching, didn't they? And actually, well, they had some among them uh, who'd come and tried to corrupt them back to the law. But, but if we think about the time and distance involved, it's a similar thing to us as to them that the, the prophecies are there, the presentation of the gospel is there, and this should now ever stand with us. That it wasn't just that it was real, and it wasn't just that it was a historical event, but this is the ever-living reality that is before us. As Paul reminded the Corinthians in a letter shortly after this Galatian letter of this same fact, First Corinthians 15, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel that I preached to you, by which you also received, and which also you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast the word which was preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Well, that, that, was, that was in Corinth, but it's also in Galatia. Why are you so quickly removed? Or why, 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 was, why is your belief turned to vanity? For Paul says, I delivered. Here's the powerful presentation. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scripture. <clears throat> so we have the facts of scripture. We have the facts of reality. And we have melded together in that the preaching unto belief. And that's where it should always stand. So uh, there's a spiritual. It's not a terribly old one as, as uh, old Negro spirituals go. It's in our songbook, and one of our song leaders leads it occasionally. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And then it repeats that a couple of times. And then were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when God raised him from the tomb? And then sometimes it causes me to tremble. Yeah, this causes these facts cause us to tremble two millennia afterwards because they're ever living with us. We weren't there. We can't see him, but we see it through the eye of faith. We have it preached powerfully in the word. We have it backed up by the prophecy. And as it should have done in, <clears throat> in the lives of these Galatians, it makes all the difference in the world to us now. And if we move away from this, what fooled you? What bewitched you? What got you to give up on this to anything else? So have this uh, as, uh, you know, per, uh, crucifixion of Christ. Have that portrayed in, in, uh, in your mind. Uh, think of that scene as another hymn says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God or my Lord, depending on your uh, version. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown, his dying crimson like a robe spreads o'er his body on the tree, 
then I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so this is the attitude we should have, and this is the attitude Paul expected the Galatians to have uh, toward the fact that Christ died for them. And they weren't giving him their soul, their life, their all, because they had gone to uh, these other doctrines, uh, which weren't uh, justification by faith in him. But again, trying to keep the things of the law. Uh, one more hymn that we sing about the crucifixion. Oh, sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss to now was thine. Yet thou despised, though despised in glory, I joy to call thee mine. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine, was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor, and grant to me thy grace. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? O oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. And that's in the same spirit again, let me never outlive my love for the Lord. That's the same spirit that Paul thought the Galatians should have had but they didn't. So in the next verses, Paul's going to go on a short theological journey and guide them through the Old Testament and how from the Old Testament onward, salvation has always been by faith. And it is faith it revealed in Christ. The law was not the end, but the law was the schoolmaster to bring them unto him. So that's our next studies. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.